You're listening to the podcast of Church of the Holy Cross in Popper Bluff, Missouri, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at holycrosspb.org. Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Tonight I want to begin by telling you about um, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Thomas F. Torrance. I believe we have a picture of him. He died in 2007. Um, it's hard to understate uh, the, the scope of his work, but it includes a, a, a doctorate of theology under Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, several honorary doctorates, co-editor with Jeffrey Bromley of Bart's uh, Church Dogmatics, author of dozens of books, chair of ecclesiastical history, and then of Christian Dogmatics in New College at the University of Edinburgh, co-founder of the Scottish Journal of Theology, and moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. Sounds impressive. He considered his primary calling to be a minister of the gospel and an evangelist to theologians. Modern Western theology, he believed, had been trapped in an obsolete, dualist mindset that detaches Jesus Christ from God, worship and mission from Christ, and biblical and theological study from fellowship and communion with the living God. From 1943 to 1945, Torrance took a leave from his parish to be a chaplain in the military during World War II. While he was fighting as a, while he was a non-combatant himself, war and death surrounded him. At one point, his platoon came under heavy German fire, and only he and one other wounded. During this battle, as he was tending to a young boy, not yet even 20 years old, who was mortally wounded, this boy looked up to him and said, Padre, he asked Torrance, is God really like Jesus? Torrance assured him, he is the only God there is, the God who has come to us in Jesus, shown his face to us, and poured out his love to us as his Savior. As he prayed and commended him to the Lord, the young man died. A few years later, back in Scotland, one of his parishioners, a dying elderly woman, asked him the same question, Dr. Torrance, is God really like Jesus? That this doubt arose from among believers within the church troubled him deeply. He wondered how the church distorted its message and created obstacles for its members that kept them from joyous participation in communion with the living God, and that was theirs in Christ by the Spirit. The question of the dying soldier and woman suggested to Taurus that people believed there was a God behind the back of Jesus. But I think... There is even a deeper question that only expressed itself on the lips of two dying people that day is, is Jesus really like God? You really dive down and you drill into what that question is really asking. It's something more like this. Could it all be true? Could it all be true? The rumors, the faint spark of mystery that we experience when we hear of 
the works and the words of Jesus, could it all be true? I'm always struck by the vigil. All the readings and as the not so quick sometimes review of all that is God has done throughout the history of salvation and his works among his people. It's an elaborate invitation to imagine ourselves journeying with Israel through the ups and the downs and the craziness of all that God has done with them. However, there's something about the declaration that Josh chanted to us that we listened to at the very beginning, and it's said all throughout this service, as even within the last few nights, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, the declaration is this. It begins with this. It says, this is the night. This is the night that God led Israel out of bondage. It doesn't say this is the anniversary or once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. No, it's very direct. It says this is the night. Not then was the night. This is the night. The promise of the gospel that we bump into during the vigil is that we, in joining with the church in worship and the sacraments, are invited to actually be participants in the story that God has been telling from the foundations of the world. This is the night. The message of Easter is the same this year, the first year back after a pandemic that has changed the world around us. The same message is this year as it has always been, and it's the power that is not found in our ability to gather in our favorite places during our favorite times of the year and to sing our favorite songs with our favorite people. The power of this night is in the invitation to participate in the life of God that is the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. This is the night. The resurrection shows us that the work of God in our world does not depend on us. And that God only meets us in these hard realities of life. Tonight, I would ask you, would you lean into the little spark of mystery that you may or may not have seen in the person of Jesus? Can you lean into the little bit of Jesus and his story and his invitation that is at the core of the question, could it all be true? What is it for you? What is the mystery, the spark, the seductive story of Jesus and the God that led Israel out of bondage that leads you to the question, could it all be true? Tonight's sermon is a simple one. I'm not going to explain the resurrection. I'm not going to exegete some passage that we've heard or some that we're about to move into. It's a very simple one. And it's found and summed up in this big idea from the proper preface that we'll hear tomorrow during the the communion. By his death, he destroyed death. By his rising to life, he has won for us everlasting life. By his dying, Jesus destroyed death, our great enemy. And by his rising to life, he has won for us life in its fullness, the good life as we were designed to experience. So tonight, I do not stand here and and explain and expound on doctrines. I merely proclaim this fact based on five points. Ready? Since we haven't been here long enough already, they'll be quick, I promise. Five things that begin here. Jesus, he really lived. Number one, he really lived. And if this is true, 
If he really lived, that means God came near in the flesh. That the God who was so distant through the story of Israel put on the garment of his creation and came down and was one like us. He really lived. That means all those things that Jesus said in the gospels that for some way, some reason, sparked something in us. Maybe it's that we have a, tr- have a problem with the church that we've experienced. Maybe it's that life itself has been something that hasn't quite led us to a place that, that we can meet each day with new vigor and, and strength. But there's something about the words of Jesus. Tonight, I would ask you to lean back into that question. Could it be true that what he lived and the seduction that we hear so much in these words of Jesus, lean into that question, could it be true? And let's imagine that it is for a minute. Secondly, if Jesus really lived, he really died, period, full stop. That means Jesus met face to face any struggle, any pain, any heartache, any fear, any unknown that we are faced with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He really died. He is intimately familiar with all the pains that we will ever be faced with. We say this in the creed weekly. He descended to the dead. And sometimes we read, he descended to hell. Any hell that we have experienced or might experience, Jesus himself in the flesh, God made flesh, fully God and fully man has been faced with that same death. That means that when it is our time to move into that dark space of the unknown, that we need not go fearfully. God himself has gone there. And if God himself has taken on our flesh and stepped into the place of death, then we know that he also, he really rose. He really rose. Sometimes we like to disparage the ancient peoples and imagine, oh, you know, they didn't, they're not as wise and as smart and as sophisticated as we are. Maybe, maybe they just put his body in a tomb and it was cold and he woke back up later. No, you who think you know death, where we send our sick to homes and, and die in the hospital and then they go to the, the funeral home where they're prepared and we show up and everything's clean and tidy as if we understand death better than they did. They were there and he really died fully, and he really rose. As if those people who followed him for those years that were suddenly so fearful and ran and scared, ran scared like children, all of a sudden found some strength later where they, they held all this and saw him personally, we are told through their testimony, some 500 at one time. And those disciples like Peter who were so cowardly suddenly put on their big boy pants and made up some elaborate lie and went on to their death, proclaiming that he really rose. See, this resurrection means something full. It means a transformation. It means Jesus Christ took on our flesh, died, was buried, and overcame death from the inside out. He opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Everlasting life. 
That's not something that happens in a disembodied heaven someday far in the future. That's something that is here now. If that is all true, if he really rose, that means that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means all his claims are true. It vindicates all these fanciful things that he said on those three years that he walked this earth and said so much, so much that challenges all that is important to us and so much that sparks hope in us. It means it's all true. What does that mean if that's all true? That means Jesus Christ, number four, he is offering to us a new life. Tonight is the night where we hear all this story and we walk through the waters of baptism together with Israel and with Christ's new creation. In baptism, here in a little bit, we're going to renew our baptismal vows and I'll talk about that. But in baptism, we enter the tomb. We taste death only to be caught up in the train of Jesus's victory over death through his resurrection, being translated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. This is what it means to be baptized. It means he is offering us real life, new life, everlasting life in the here and now, but only through the waters of baptism, only through the waters of our own death here and now. In George Bernard Shaw's 1923 play, St. Joan, about Joan of Arc, Robert de Baudricourt tells Joan of Arc that the voices she is hearing are nothing more than her own imagination. Joan responds, well, of course, that's how the messages of God come to us. The bodily appearance of Christ to his disciples and the impartation of the Holy Spirit ignited their imaginations when they were comfortable enough to sit quietly and listen for what God was doing. The imaginations What would the world now look like amid this ever-expanding kingdom of God if we were brave enough to listen to our imaginations? Could it be true? What if you allowed yourself the freedom to imagine your life in light of the realities of a Christ who has been resurrected? What if you imagine life in light of God's story being proclaimed through you? Because that's what the story is all about. From Genesis in the garden where he creates us in his image and he turns us loose in his creation to the calling out of Israel from bondage, sending them on. What is it always for? It's for the sake of others. Same thing with Abraham and Moses, all these that we have just heard about. What would life be like? What could it be like if we imagined our life in light of God's story being proclaimed through us? You see, there's a better story than the one you have been living in, the one we dream about sometimes. And you tonight on this night are being beckoned into it. So number five, my last point, he really demands something of us. Jesus, if he died and if he rose, he really demands something of us. But remember who he is. God is like Jesus. And he says things like, my yoke is easy and my burden light. How could he say something like that when his own life went to the cross? How could he say something like that when his own apostles were, were martyred as well? 
There's something about everlasting life that is given to us through the baptism, through baptism of death, that is something unlike we could ever have dreamed of. That is what he demands of us. Again, the proper preface that we'll hear again tomorrow, by his death, he destroyed death, and by his rising to life, he has won for us everlasting life. So you face, you're faced tonight with one of two calls to obedience. One, repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. For there is no everlasting life. There is no life outside of this one call, this death to ourself and uniting ourselves with the King Jesus who has come in the flesh and died and was raised and now offers this to us. Repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. The gospel is not just, oh, Jesus died for our sins and someday we'll go to heaven when we die. Yeah, that may be part of the gospel, but the gospel is this. There is a King that has come. There is a king that has come in the flesh. That king is Jesus. And kings demand obedience. Kings demand that we repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. See, it's not so much that, 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 that Jesus is rescuing us from something as much he is rescuing us for something. Is that not what we hear all throughout the stories that we heard at the beginning of the vigil? That he called these people out, he gave them new life, and he sent them in a new direction. Have you been baptized and repented of your life before and believed this good gospel that God is offering us a good, the good life? God intends to work through obedient humans in this community. As a kid growing up, as most, I think all of us, except for a few, did, grew up in uh, Southern Baptist traditions, we were often met with this call, right? At the end of almost every service. Well, I was baptized when I was eight, and I remember the year after going to a, um, uh, a vacation Bible school where at every day at the end, before it was over, they would give the same call, right? Come forward. And, and so every day in my nine-year-old mind, that was the call. So I got up every day and came forward. And after about day four, finally someone pulled me aside. And I don't know who it was, but they said to me, Parker, what are you doing? <laughs> And I said, something's, I mean, I, I knew in some, some way, in some childlike way that, yeah, I was baptized, but something still wasn't quite right in me. I wasn't experiencing this fullness of life that was promised, that something in me still seemed to be broken and sinful. And they were like, yeah. And I don't know who it was, but there was a bit of, of wisdom in them when they said, trust in your baptism." Trust in your baptism. Because when you were baptized, the Spirit was there in a real and present way. The Spirit made promises to you. And yes, there is still the mortification of the flesh that comes throughout a whole life of following Jesus in discipleship, long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson said. Some way I, I knew that Christ still hadn't quite brought to completion that which he had begun in me, but that person that pulled me aside reminded me he had begun it. So your call tonight, 
If you have trusted and repented and believed the gospel and stepped through the waters of baptism and died to your old self, at this vigil, here's your call. Ready? Repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. But it looks a little different for us at this point because we renew our baptismal vows as we do tonight, not as a way to make new promises to God. I promise to do better. No. God's grace that was given to you in your baptism is sufficient. It was efficacious. He united himself to you. In renewing your baptismal covenant as we're about to do tonight, we're not receiving something from God that we don't already have. We're reorienting our gaze. We're asking again, could it all be true? And what does that mean? What is the good life that God is calling me into? We reorient our gaze to the one who has gone before us. And we remind ourselves that our primary allegiance and our only hope is that which we profess in our baptismal vows, that of the person of Jesus Christ. So here in just a moment, we will stand and we will renew our baptismal promises. What is your call to obedience tonight? Is it that first time? That is, tonight is the night that traditionally people would come forward and be baptized and be accepted into the arms of the church. Is that a conversation that we need to start having now and tonight? Or is tonight the night that you reorient your gaze on Jesus again in this great vigil as we hear this great story that God is telling in his creation? In a moment, we will renew our vows. The lights will come on and the resurrection life will begin. In the rising of the light following the baptism, so too does the light of life and clarity arise in us, but only through our death in the water. Let's take a moment of silence. Would you please stand? Through the Paschal mystery, dear friends, we are buried with Christ by baptism into his death and raised with him to newness of life. I call upon you, therefore, now that our Lenten observance is ended, to renew the solemn promises and vows of holy baptism by which we once renounced Satan and all his works and promised to serve God faithful in his holy Catholic Church. Do you reaffirm your renunciation of evil and renew your commitment to Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and in the prayers? I will with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will with God's help. Will you seek to serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being? I will with God's help. May Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit and bestowed upon us the forgiveness of sins, keep us in eternal life. By His grace, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I don't know if you're all quite ready for this one. Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Alleluia! Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Alleluia! Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Alleluia! Alleluia.